I can't wait to introduce you to our speaker today. He's a dear friend. I had the privilege of going to Armenia and the country of Georgia last May. I was able to stay in Shahan and Tyra's home. Uh, they have four beautiful children. They are doing the work of God in ways that is pretty unbelievable. And today we're unveiling a plan that I think is going to be a four to five year plan for Timberline Church to partner with Shahan and the, and the missionaries and the teams there because we, we have an open window to reach a part of the world that is very difficult to reach. And he's going to tell you a little more about that. But Shahan, come on up here. Now this guy, just so you know, this is quite a story. Shahan was a high-powered attorney in Philadelphia for like 18 years. And I didn't even know that attorneys in Philadelphia could be Christians. Oh, yeah. So there's a few. It's, it's, a, it's a high hourly rate, but uh, we could... <laughs> no, seriously, what, this story is compelling because he had like 100 attorneys working under him, a partner, and just getting it done. God called him to Armenia out of all of that. And uh, he's going to tell you that story. But would you welcome Shahan Tiberian? Thank you. Well, thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. It's such a tremendous honor. First, I want to thank Pastor Darry and Bonnie for inviting us. Uh, it is a tremendous opportunity to be able to speak with you, and I'm grateful for your uh, inviting us and having me here. Um, as you heard, I'm a lawyer, or was a lawyer, and you also heard that we're now missionaries, and you may wonder how that transition happened. And as I speak to you today, I think that maybe you'll start to understand how God works in those ways and how he can do things like that. And as I speak to you this morning, what I want to do is to keep in mind the lives of two men whose stories are told to us in the Bible. The first of these two men is Joseph whose story is told in the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. In those chapters, we read about how Joseph was envied by his brothers, how they wanted to murder him, how because of the intervention of his brother Reuben, he was saved from death, but then was sold into slavery, carried into Egypt, where he was falsely accused of a crime, and thrown into a dungeon, into prison, to rot. And once he was in that prison, Joseph had a choice to make. He could have decided that his life was over. He could have said, there is nothing for me to do. I'm in this prison. I'm going to die here. I'm just going to rot away until nobody remembers who I was. But instead, Joseph made another decision. He decided instead to remain faithful and to maintain his hope in God. And because Joseph remained faithful, God raised him out of that prison, set him at the right hand of Pharaoh so that Joseph was the second most powerful man in the kingdom, so that when famine struck the world, Joseph found himself in a position not only to save his own family, but also to save the entire nation of Israel. In the New Testament, I want to think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Jew, but he was much more than that. He was the most Jewish of Jewish men. He was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. This was a man, this Roman citizen, who was trained from his youth to be fully familiar with Jewish tradition, Jewish scripture, Jewish ways of thinking, Jewish logic. In fact, he was taught by the greatest Jewish scholar of the time, the man Gamaliel. And Paul was raised in this fashion so that when he became an adult, he would be a good Jew and a strong defender of the Jewish faith. And in fact, that's what he turned out to be. We, we read from Paul's own words how he voted to condemn Christians to death, how he had them dragged to prison, how he made them blaspheme against the Christ. We read about how Paul was the greatest persecutor of the early church. But then on the road to Damascus, his life is turned upside down. 
And he goes from being the greatest persecutor of the early church to being the greatest evangelist the church has ever seen. So we have Joseph and Paul, two men whose lives are separated by centuries. And yet although their lives are separated by that long period of time, their lives are actually connected by a thread that ties not only them together, but ties them with us. And that thread, that theme is this. Both Joseph and Paul were preserved and prepared for a purpose. And the lives of both Joseph and Paul are examples of how God can take a life that the world has said has no more value and give it value. And how God can bring sense out of what seems to us to be completely senseless. You know, not a day goes by that we don't turn on the TV or go to the newspaper or search the internet and see things that really terrify us. We see stories about wars, about natural disasters, political turmoil, the economy going into a tailspin. And every day we can look at these things and we can say, God, why are we alive today? Why did you make us born in such evil times? Could we not have been born in more peaceful certain times? But I'm here to encourage you. I'm first going to encourage you with two truths. Number one, there is nothing that has happened before today. There is nothing that will happen today. There is nothing that will happen after today that Almighty God did not know was going to happen. Number two, there is nothing that has happened before today, nothing that will happen today, nothing that will happen after today that can frustrate God's master plan of salvation. You see, it is finished. Jesus Christ came to earth. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He had resurrection over the grave. And because of that, we have the guarantee of eternal life if we accept that gift. And nothing that has ever happened or will happen will ever be able to change that. So, while it is easy to look at the world and say we're overwhelmed by this evil, that's only when we're looking at the world through the eyes of the world. But we as Christians are called to more. We are called to look at the world through the eyes of Scripture. And when we do that, when we see the events of history as God sees them, then we recognize that rather than being isolated, disconnected, completely random events that everything that has ever happened and that continues to happen are parts of a jigsaw puzzle that are falling into place so that today in 2016 we find ourselves on the verge of the greatest period of evangelism that the world has ever seen so instead of being upset about it when I see what's going on in the world I say thank you God that you have allowed me to live today and you have allowed me and called me and every other Christian in the world to be the stewards of that gospel message at the very moment when that gospel message is going to go forth through the power of your Holy Spirit and reach more people than it has ever reached in the history of the world before. Give thanks to God that you are alive today. So if you can imagine that spinning globe, that seemingly out of control spinning globe, let's reach out our hands and stop it on one place, the country of Armenia, where my family and I have been privileged to serve for the last four years. Because Armenia is a perfect example of some of these things that I'm talking to you about today. You see already a map because the first question people say is, well, where is Armenia? There it is. It's that little yellow spot right in the middle of the Middle East. It is a very small country, the, uh, a country the size of the state of Maryland. Armenia is most famous for two things. First, it's the land on which Noah's Ark came to rest. In Genesis chapter 8, 
It says, in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat. Ararat is the biblical name that is used for the historic nation of Armenia. So we know that the ark came to rest on a mountain somewhere in the historic nation of Armenia. The second thing for which Armenia is most famous is that it's the oldest Christian nation in the world, having adopted Christianity as its official religion in the year 301 AD, more than 10 years before the Roman Empire did the same. Now, because of its geographical location and its relative weakness over the centuries, Armenia has always been the subject of attack and persecution by its more powerful neighbors. And these attacks upon the Armenian people escalated tremendously after they declared themselves to be a Christian nation. Because at that time, our enemy decided that he did not want this Christian nation to survive, and so he determined to destroy this Christian nation for daring to be Christian in a non-Christian part of the world. And I want to share with you two examples from history of dozens that I could share with you, of some of the persecutions that the Armenian people have gone through so that you have an understanding of what it means to be the only Christian nation in a non-Christian part of the world. The year is 451, 451. The Persian emperor comes to Armenia and he says to the Armenian people, I have an ultimatum for you. He says, either you renounce your Christian faith and take up my pagan faith again, or I'm going to invade your country and I'm going to destroy you. As you might imagine, this caused much fear and consternation amongst the Armenian people and their leaders because they were a very weak nation, especially compared to the mighty and powerful Persian Empire. So the Armenian leaders gathered together in a meeting to decide how are we going to respond to this threat against us and against our people. And after several days of meeting, they decided that their response would go back in a letter to the Persian emperor. And the letter that they wrote to him ends with some very interesting language. This is the last part of the letter they wrote. They said, our faith in Christ is not like clothing that we might change it according to the circumstances. It is part and parcel of our bones and our blood and our personality. We will serve you faithfully in your army and we will pay you taxes loyally if you leave us alone in the matter of our religion. However, if you try to force your will upon us, we are ready to suffer, to be tortured, and even to die. However, however, you should know in advance that there is no power on earth which can force us to change our faith in Christ because our covenant is not with man, but with Almighty God. Well, what happened? Well, the Persian emperor was true to his word. He invaded Armenia and he completely destroyed the Armenian armies on the battlefield. But then the stubborn Armenian people retreated to the mountains of their mountainous homeland and they started a campaign of guerrilla warfare that lasted over 31 years And after 31 years of guerrilla warfare, the Persian emperor and his generals threw up their hands one day and said, we're done. These people are crazy. They're never going to leave us in peace. And they left. They left. And they left behind that same Christian nation they had invaded 31 years earlier. But with one very important difference. You see, now the Armenians had learned that no matter what sufferings and trials came their way, all they needed to do to survive was to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. A very important lesson for them to learn very early in their Christian walk. 
Fast forward, if you would. Fast forward to 1915. 1915, the most violent persecution of the Armenians. In 1915, one and a half million Armenians, two-thirds of the population at the time, was massacred in the first genocide of the 20th century by the Muslim Ottoman Turkish Empire. And they were killed because they were a Christian minority unwilling to give up its Christian faith in a Muslim empire. A story is told from 1915 of a single Armenian mother, a widow, who had one child, a four-year-old boy. This mother and her son were driven into the desert to die, along with hundreds of thousands of other Armenians. And they went all the way through the desert, from a city near Istanbul, all the way to the Syrian border. And things became so bad that this mother decided one day that she couldn't deal with it anymore, and she left her son on the side of the road to die. But God had other plans for that young four-year-old boy. He sent a band of Bedouin Arabs. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You've seen the movies. People on camels with their tents going through the desert from place to place. And as these nomads were traveling through the desert, they heard a little voice crying amongst the thousands of dead bodies. And they stopped, they looked, and they found a four-year-old boy. They picked him up and they gave him to an old childless couple in their tribe. And that tribe then raised that young boy. They raised him as a Muslim, as a Bedouin, as an Arab. He lived and traveled with the tribe until he was 21. And then when he was 21, he found out that he was really Armenian. And on that day, he left the tribe. He became a Christian. He learned Armenian. And he traveled to the north of Iraq where he started a family. You know, I told you I'd encourage you. And a lot of you may not be feeling very encouraged right now. Because I've been telling you more stories of death, destruction of man's evil against man. Uh, But that's because I've been telling you these stories the way that the world has always seen these stories. But again, we are called to see these stories the way that God sees these events and these stories. And when we do, when we look at Armenian history the way that God sees it, we realize that today Armenia stands exactly where Joseph stood in the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis. If you remember the last chapter of the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers come to him now that their father is dead. And they say, Joseph, we are very afraid. We are afraid that now that our father is dead, You will seek revenge against us for the evil that we did to you in your youth. But Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, Do not be afraid, for you intended me evil, but God intended it for good so that many lives would be saved as is happening today. And I'm here to tell you that... Armenia is in exactly that place. For 1,700 years, our enemy has intended nothing but evil towards the nation of Armenia. Our enemy for 1,700 years has sought to destroy this country for no other reason than it dared to be a Christian nation in a non-Christian part of the world. And yet for 1,700 years, Almighty God has always known what is going to be happening to the Armenian people. He's always known what his master plan of salvation is and what role the Armenians are going to play in it. And so God has looked at that evil plan down the centuries and has said, yes, you intended it for evil, but I intended it for good so that as I am here to tell you is happening today in and through the country of Armenia. Many lives will be saved, as is happening today. What good did God do? Look at this map, if you would. Armenia, a lighthouse for Christ in a sea of Islam. 
a Christian nation surrounded by countries that are 99% Muslim. 150 million Muslims in the three countries, in three of the four countries that surround Armenia. And yet within Armenia itself, less than 0.1%, fewer than 3,000 Muslims in a country of 3 million people. Truly preserved as a lighthouse for Christ in a sea of Islam. And the beauty of God's handiwork is this. Not only has he preserved this nation as a lighthouse for Christ in a sea of Islam, but he has impressed a burden upon the Armenian and, yes, and the Georgian church in, in a similar situation, that they are to reach the Muslim nations that surround them. On my first missions trip to Armenia in 2007, after a time of prayer that we had in our hotel room, I was speaking to one of the Armenian pastors, and this is what he said to me. He said, you know, we Armenians have been invaded for centuries. We have been invaded by Assyrians, by Babylonians, by Parthians, by Medes, by Persians, by Romans, by Mongols, by Arabs, by Turks. And they all came here to spill our blood and to take our lives. But God preserved us. And he preserved us so that now we can invade their nations. Not to spill blood, but to preach the blood of Jesus. Not to take life, but to share with them the hope of eternal life. Truly preserved and prepared for a purpose. Sense out of the seemingly senseless. That's Armenia. And you may say, well, great. Now we understand a little bit more about Armenia's place in God's plan. But you, what about you? You're a lawyer and a Philadelphia lawyer. So what earthly good could you be to anybody, let alone to God on the mission field? Well, I'll, I'll try and answer that question for you. The day after I spoke to that pastor, I was sitting in Armenia's Republic Square, and as I was sitting there, I heard a, a, what, what I thought was a little voice, not an audible voice, but a, a sense within my spirit, saying, Shahan, you have now heard the vision that I have for the churches here. And having heard it, what I want you to do is now leave your job, Leave your career, leave what is familiar to you, and bring your family here in Armenia, to Armenia to serve alongside the churches that are working here to make that vision a reality. And my response to that gracious invitation was, no thanks. I'm not interested. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't believe it was God because I couldn't understand how God would take a career that by that point was 15 years old, that I had worked very hard at, that was successful, and say, leave it behind and come do something completely unfamiliar to you in a place that's unfamiliar to you and do it for as long as I call you to do it. So I didn't tell anybody about that sense or that call from God for about a year, including my wife. I didn't tell her. But God didn't leave me alone for that year. He kept talking to me. He kept impressing upon me the reality of the calling, the reality of that message. And what he eventually showed me through that year was that everything that we had done up until that point, both my wife in her job and me in my job, was merely preparation for the work to which he had called us in the countries of Armenia and Georgia. And I could spend a whole week sitting with you telling you all the exciting ministries that we have established with the national churches there that we are working with right now and that we're continuing to work with and the plans that God has for those countries in the future. But I don't need to tell you all those things to tell you this. There is nothing that we have done in Armenia or that we're doing or that we will be doing that we can see at this point that we could have done that would have been possible without the preparation that we had and the experiences that we had doing what we did before being called to the mission field. We were perfectly prepared for this time of service. And I think of the Apostle Paul. Think about Paul. This is a man whose life had a purpose to be a defender of the Jewish faith, 
But then on the road to Damascus, Paul discovers his life's purpose is not that. If anything, it's the complete opposite of that. His life's purpose is not to be defending the Jewish faith, but it's to be the greatest evangelist the church has ever seen. And look at how God is perfect in his ways. Because not only is that Paul's new revealed purpose, but we see that the very gifts and tools that Paul had been given to be a good Jew are the perfect tools that he needed to be the greatest evangelist the church has ever seen. You see, Paul's knowledge of Jewish scripture, Jewish tradition, Jewish heritage, Jewish ways of thinking allowed him to prepare and present arguments to the Jewish leaders and Jewish people that they couldn't argue with. They couldn't rebut Paul because he's using their own logic against them. He's using their own way of thinking against them, their own tradition against them. In fact, they were probably intimidated by him. It's no accident that God chose the greatest scholar of the time, the man Gamaliel, to teach Paul when Paul was a child. And beyond Paul's training as a Jew, Paul was also a Roman citizen. That is no accident, because that meant that in addition to having access to Jewish leaders, Paul now had access to Gentile kings, Gentile leaders, who otherwise would have had no interest in what this Jewish man had to say. But now they had to listen to him. They had to hear his words, because he was under the protection of the emperor in Rome until his trial. That's why we call him the missionary to the Gentiles. But I came to see that not only was God working and had been working in my personal life, me individually, and that of my family, but I also saw how he had been working through the ages, through the centuries, to put us in a place where we could serve him. And, uh, you know, the thing I haven't told you yet, I told you I was a lawyer. Actually, Pastor Darry told you I was a lawyer. Uh, and what I haven't told you is that I'm also Armenian. That's my heritage. That's my background. Um, that's why my name is what it is. <laughs> and um, my uh, family, both sides of my family, have fled some of these persecutions over the centuries. You remember that young boy I told you about, that four-year-old who was left in the desert to die? That was my grandfather. That was my grandfather. And if there's any doubt in your mind that God is the one who orchestrates things, let me tell you how I know that story because you might be wondering, how do you know that story? My grandfather, as I told you, left his tribe the day that he found out he was Armenian. At that time, the tribe was in Syria. He went to the nearest town to buy a bus ticket to take him to an Armenian refugee camp in Iraq. When he got to the store, the store owner said, I don't have the tickets here. The man who sells them isn't here today. Here's his home address. You can go and buy them from him at his home. My grandfather went to that man's home. It turned out that man also was an Armenian. And as my grandfather was explaining his story to this man, the man got this crazy thought in his head. And he said, hold on a second. And he went to get his wife. And he said to his wife, there's this young Armenian man on, this, on the doorstep. He wants a ticket. Listen, here's this crazy story. But crazier than his story is the thought that's in my head. He looks just like your sister. Could it be he's her lost son? And his wife said, you know, I really can't tell you because it's a long time ago. Yeah, he looks kind of like her, but who's to know? So the man went back to the, my grandfather and said, I don't have the tickets today. Come back tomorrow. The next day, he made sure that his sister-in-law, my great-grandmother, was there. And as he was speaking to my grandfather, he said, hold on here a second. And he went to speak to his sister-in-law, my great-grandmother, and said, well, what do you think? Do you think this could be your son? And she again said... I don't know. It's been a long time. But he might be. But I'll tell you this. 
my son had a little birthmark behind his ear. So they went out and they grabbed my grandfather and they told him what happened and they looked and he had a little birthmark behind his ear. You know, God often calls us to do awful things in life, awful things that we don't understand, like abandoning our children to die. But afterwards, he reveals to us his perfect ways. From my knowledge of Armenian history, I can tell you, if they had stayed together, they both would have died. But they were separated, and they both lived and were reunited. I don't tell you all that to tell you that because God saved my grandfather, I'm here in Fort Collins, and that's why he did it. So I'd be here with you today, and lucky you guys. And I'm sure he's happy for his sacrifice that he made so that I could be with you today. But what I will tell you is this. If God had not saved my grandfather... Neither my family nor I would be in any position to be serving God in Armenia or Georgia or anywhere else today. And we want to honor God's handiwork over the centuries. And that's why we've given the rest of our lives to serving him. So that in a way of honoring him for everything that he's done to preserve our family. Armenia, the Tiberians. But I can't leave it there. I can't leave it there. Because as I told you, the Armenia and the Tiberians are but examples. We are but examples. Because if you imagine that spinning globe again, that spinning, spinning globe, if you stop it anywhere in the world, no matter where you stop it, you're going to find the same thing. You're going to find people preserved and prepared by God, each for a unique purpose in his or her life. And I can tell you that because I can tell you without any fear of uh, being denied that We all, as Christians, have the same job. We all are called to do the same thing. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are all ambassadors for Christ. We're all ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? What did it mean to Paul when he wrote that in 2 Corinthians 5? Well, number one, ambassadors in that time were always chosen. They were chosen by their master, and they could not say no. Having been chosen, they had to say yes. So it is with us. Having been chosen to be the ambassador, we have no right to say to our master, we will not serve. Number two, having been chosen, the ambassadors were each given a message. We too have been given a message by our master, and the message we have is the greatest message in the history of the world. It's the message that because of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sinful man has been reconciled to a sinless and holy God. But the third thing about ambassadors, they were chosen, they were given a message, but they were each then sent to a different kingdom to deliver their message. Because it makes no sense that all ambassadors go to one place, right? Some would be sent to Greece, some would be sent to Gaul, some would be sent to Spain, and so it is with us. Each of us is given the same message, but each of us is given a different kingdom of assignment. And I don't know where your kingdom assignment is. I know you have one. For my family and me, it's the nation of Armenia. For you, I don't know where it is. It could be Fort Collins. It could be Boulder. It could be Denver. It could be, uh, it could be Nebraska. It could be California. It could be Armenia. It might even be your own home. I don't know but you have a kingdom assignment. And once you know that, you have only one job, only one thing you need to do. Let me tell you what you don't need to do. God never calls us to be successful. Say it again. God never calls us to be successful. He calls us to do one thing only. God calls us only to be faithful, to be faithful to that which he has called us. This is taught throughout Scripture, perhaps most clearly in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. If you remember the parable of the talents, there are two servants. There's a servant who's given two talents, and there's a servant who's given five talents. I know there's a third guy with one talent. I don't care about the the other guy today. 
okay? So you have the servant with two talents, and you have the servant with five. One's given a little bit less, one's been given a little bit more. But each of them, no matter what he has been given, takes what he has been given, leaves nothing on the table, puts nothing aside, puts nothing in his pocket. He takes everything that the master has entrusted to him and uses it all in the furtherance of his master's interests and in serving his master. And because of that faithfulness, each of those two servants was rewarded by the master. And that's how it is with us today. God has given everyone in this room and everyone in the world something. To some, he's given a little bit less. To some, he's given a lot. To some, he's given in between. But whatever he's given, whether it's less or more, he requires that we use it all in his service and in his interests to make him richer. And what makes God richer? What are his interests? But the salvation of human beings, the salvation of souls. Whatever he's given us, we need to use to advance that, to advance the salvation of souls. But often, you know, we're not faithful. And it's not that we're not faithful because we're deliberately disobedient to God or we don't want to listen to his calling. But a lot of times we lose heart and are not faithful because we start to listen to and believe lies. Lies that we tell ourselves and lies that the enemy tells us. Lies such as, you're too young, you're too old, you're not smart enough, you went to the wrong school, you married the wrong person, you're divorced, you were an alcoholic. How horrible of a person are you? Who do you think you have anything to give God? You're completely worthless to him. He can do no, you can do nothing for him. Well, let me tell you, those are lies from the pit of hell. Because if the life of Joseph teaches us anything, it teaches us this. No matter what the world has thrown at you, no matter what the other people have done to you in an effort to destroy you, to plunge you into a prison, to put you in chains, and to tell you you have no value and you're going to die, it doesn't matter. The life of Joseph teaches that if you walk faithfully with God, he can and will lift you up out of that prison, set you on high, so that when the opportunity arises, rises, you too could save nations. And if that's what Joseph teaches us, what about Paul? Well, Paul teaches us a valuable lesson too. He teaches, forget what other people have done to you, what the world has thrown at you to destroy you. How about things that you have done to destroy yourself, incorrect decisions, things that you regret in your life that have led you to the point where you are today? Well, Paul's life says that doesn't matter either. Even if you were the greatest persecutor of the church, killing Christians, it doesn't matter. If you've turned your life to God and you're walking faithfully with him, he can and will use you to reach the nations, perhaps to be the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. And beyond that, Paul teaches us that not only can God use you despite those things in your past, but that those things that you think disqualify you might be the perfect things that you need to serve God as he has called you to serve him. Who better than a recovering alcoholic to minister to an alcoholic and say, brother, sister, I know where you are. I know you feel there's no liberty from those chains because you feel that it's crushing you. But I know also there is liberty. You can be free. Freedom is to be found in the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason I know that is because I too am free even though I once was where you are. That's why I'm excited. Because I realize that I'm part of an army. With you, we're all part of this same army that God has equipped and preserved and per, uh, for a purpose. Each of us for a unique purpose. And I know that all we need to do to reach the nations is to be faithful. Is to take that which God has put into our hands. 
and to use it entirely in his service. We strive every day to do that in Armenia and Georgia. I have faith that you strive in your lives to do it every day. We need to continue in that path. We need to continue in that path. And the lives, the eternal lives of millions and millions and millions of people rest in the balance and are going to be affected by how faithful we are. But I know that our desire is to be faithful so that we too, one day we'll be able to hear from our master, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into thy eternal reward. Pastor, as you, as you come, what I'd like to do, if you allow me to, is to pray for you um, as a congregation, as a church, uh, in Armenian. And my Armenian is not perfect, but it's a lot better than yours. So, <laughs> believe me, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful, mighty prayer, believe me. Amen. Amen. Wow. Shahan, we uh, really appreciate your passion, your love for God. I, uh, I want to just take a moment to tell you what we're, we're trying to do. We really believe that this is going to be a, a four or five year partnership. I mean, it'll be forever, but intensely these next four or five years, we really want to partner with Shahan and the pastors in Armenia and Georgia. Some of you are going to end up going to Armenia, Amen. some to Georgia to help work on churches there. Because let's face it, I want to say this as easy as I can. Typically, these Muslim nations don't welcome Americans. When American missionaries go, it takes years just to make a friend, if they ever can. But that's not how it is with Armenians and Georgians. And they can build these bridges quickly. So if we can equip them, help train and release them, and make sure the church is really strong, then we, in a way, are reaching this part of the world that's very difficult to reach. Amen? So let's, let's go in with this. And I believe God's going to help us raise two or $300,000 to really raise up an army of pastors and leaders and missionaries out of Georgia and Armenia. And we're going to be front row as a church. And Shahan and Tyra are going to come back again next year with their family. You're going to be able to have more time with them. And we're just going to keep this going. So that's what this offering is going to. Every penny of this offering we're going to take right now is the, is the beginning of this partnership. And you might not be prepared to give today, I understand that, but over these next few weeks, please pray and please do what you can to make a difference because it's going to take a lot of money. One thing about the Armenian church I saw when I was there last May with you guys is that the pastors and the workers there are very proud in a good way. Like they're, they're not asking for any handouts. When I even gave the notion that, that we would love to come and help, they were like, well, you can help if you want to, but we're going to get this done with or without you. And I like that. I like that. And so they're, they're tough people. They've been through a lot, but they, they do need our help. And God's put a mantle on Timberline to really make a difference with this. So pray with me for that right now, would you? Lord, Shahan and I just agree. Jesus. And we as a church just lay it down. We say we want to be partners and we need help. We need you to talk to folks in this room in this weekend to do significant things to make a difference. Show us how we can raise up an army of leaders from this little spot in the world called Fort Collins (laughs) 
to release an army of people to reach this part of the world around Armenia and Georgia. Thank you for this friendship and this connection. In Jesus' name.